0: This is the morning worship service of Long Hill Chapel for Sunday, September 2nd, 1990. The scripture is taken from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. The sermon titled, Don't Keep Running on Empty, is by Pastor Bubna. John, chapter 45, verses 4 to 14. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank it from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life.
1: But usually when I'm driving somewhere, I I have an appointment, I want to be on time, and therefore I don't like to stop and buy gasoline. Besides that, I just don't like to buy gasoline. And so uh, more frequently than I ought, I'm driving with my tank almost empty. I don't drive with it empty. I've only run out of gas about twice in my whole life. But I do run it close. It's not good to run your gas tank on empty because the car's going to stop and it could be at a very inopportune moment. Our lives are not like cars. You can run your life on empty for a long time. God made us with a gauge in our life that begins to tell us when it's getting empty. One of the things that a lot of us learn to do is uh, to mask the gauge or to gimmick it so it seems to register full even when it's running on empty. Or we can try to fill up the empty places in our life with all sorts of things. Or if you get your life going fast enough and keep it full with activity and drivenness, you hardly notice that the gas gauge is on empty. Our neighbors when we lived in Minneapolis were lovely people. Uh, they lived on the left-hand side of us. Paul's wife was Polish, which may have been why when he decided to purchase a bar, a tavern, he, he purchased it in northeast Minneapolis. Now, if you know Minneapolis, northeast is a Polish neighborhood. so a wonderful community. And I was interested in Paul's new business. Whenever we would be out in the yard working, I'd say, well, Paul, how's it going at the bar? Oh, it's great. That's a wonderful business. I like it. Well, I was surprised. Just a few months into it, when we were mowing the lawn one day. I said, Paul, how's the business? He said, I'm selling it. Oh, I said I'm sorry it's not going well. Oh, it's going well. It's a money maker. So I'm curious, why do you sell a money maker? He said, "Well, I'm not a psychiatrist." I said, "Paul, I'm having a hard time following." He said, "Well, Paul, every time somebody buys a drink in my bar, they want to tell me all their troubles. And I'm just not cut out to be a psychiatrist, so I'm selling the bar." All of this confirms what uh, Jess Moody says in his little book entitled, A Drink at Joel's Place. Jess Moody is a Baptist pastor in Florida. In his book, A Drink at Joel's Place, his thesis is that people go to church for the same basic reason they go to the bar. They're trying to fill up their empty tank. And he says in his book, People often tend to go away from church the same way they go away from the bar, not really having filled up their tank at all. The reason he called his book a drink at Joel's place is from the prophet Joel. It was he who prophesied in chapter 2, verse 28, And I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, upon sons and daughters, upon servants, men servants, and women servants, On all my people I will pour out my Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came down on the gathered saints, the Apostle Peter said, This is what Joel prophesied. Our text uh, today tells us about Jesus meeting a woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well in Sychar. He asked her for a drink. She was surprised because Jewish people tended not to speak to Samaritans since they were inbred with pagan people. And for a man to speak to a Samaritan woman was not the expected thing. Our Lord's reply astonished her more when he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living Water. Ah, that caught her attention. She was looking for living water. She'd been married seven times. She was looking for something. There was something that was empty. And her attention was whetted even more when he went on with this remarkable promise in verse 13, where Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water from the well will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give will be in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful promise? A well of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, we're not surprised that she said, Sir, Give me this water. Preachers uh, can be guilty of oversimplifying complex issues, and none of us like to do that, but we often do it anyway, even though we don't like to. And I don't want to do that this morning. But I do want to say, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced that so many of the problems Not all of the problems, but many of the difficulties of our life relate to the fact that we're simply running on empty. See, uh, we were made for God, made by God, for God, made to know Him and to love Him. Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, said, all of us have been made with a God-shaped void within us, a void that can only be filled with God. In the upper room, when Jesus talked with his disciples and they were concerned about him leaving them, Jesus said, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go to the Father, I will pray and he will send the comforter. And he will be with you and will be in you. I'll miss the last phrase, he will be in you. That was the advantage. Jesus was with them. The Holy Spirit would fill them. That was his promise to them. I think many new Christians uh, kind of go through this experience. You see, the scripture says that when we believe savingly upon Jesus Christ, when we confess our emptiness, that we're sinners that we have no way of settling our moral debt, when we realize that we're separated from God by our sin and lost and undone, and believe savingly upon Christ. Scripture says, not only is our moral debt covered by his righteousness, but his spirit comes to indwell us. And uh, often new Christians are uh, overwhelmed by the fresh sense of being clean, of having the, the burden of their guilt rolled off of them, in, in the sense that uh, they're, they're coming alive inwardly, beginning to respond to God. They, they sense new spiritual longings and desires. But it's disillusioning when not too far down the road, they may find the tank empty. And they're wondering, why is my tank empty? And God sent his spirit to live in me. Well, I don't want to propose quick fixes. That's the kind of day we live in. Everything can be solved in a few minutes' time with a formula. I don't want to suggest that this morning. That there's some easy way that uh, fullness happens to all of us. But I want to follow three themes that go through the scriptures and talk about them a few moments. And I want to do this because I... I want God to quicken in each of us today a sense of holy longing for his fullness. That is what he promised. The first thing, the first theme in the scripture is holy desire. seems to me that the the journey to spiritual fullness begins with a holy discontent. You know, all of us uh, are tempted to, Fill up our tank some way with activity and drivenness and pleasure and work. And and we can we can mask the empty gauge in our inner life and drive on until maybe God in His kindness brings some circumstances into our life that begin to uncover it. And and often a, a critical moment in our spiritual journey is this development of a sense of, of, of inner discontent spiritually. And we begin to realize God's promise. It's a wonderful day when we begin to get a hold of the fact, God intends me to be full. He said that. Jesus promised that. And when we believe that, and we allow God to blow across the the coals of our life and fan them into flame, that's a very important moment in our life. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. It will be a spring of water welling up. When that promise begins to create longing in us, we're an important part of our journey. By its very nature, God's Fullness is not something you can want casually. I think it's hard for us to understand that. Fullness. I'd like fullness. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm already looking for wealth and fame and riches and power. I'd like fullness too. Where do you sign up? By its nature. It can't be a casual desire. Part of The gentle way God deals in our life is to to keep bringing us to the place of quickening that longing for him. Frederick William Faber, pastor of the last century who wrote lots of devotional poems, wrote one about desire for God. None honors God like the thirst of desire, or possesses the heart so completely with him. Pray for desire, for love's wistfulest yearning, for the beautiful pining of holy desire. For the lack of desire is the ill of all ills. Many thousands through its dark pathway have trod. The balsam, the wine of predestinate wills is a jubilant pining and longing for God. God loves to be longed for. He longs to be sought and he sought us himself with such longing and love. One of the the dynamics of, of our journey to living in God's fullness is the quickening of holy passion for God. A second one, however, a theme that goes all through the Scripture, is the willingness to die. For once we've begun to pursue the holy desire of our inner life, for God's fullness, we're soon brought up against spiritual conflict. Galatians 5, 16 and 18. The, the outline in the bulletin, incidentally, has all these scriptures. You may want to follow along uh, either now or afterwards. These are some of the key texts in the New Testament. Galatians 5, 16 to 18. Paul said, So I live, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul describes the dynamics of inner spiritual life. When we receive Christ and Believe savingly on him, God's Spirit comes to indwell us, wakens holy desire. And that holy desire comes up against the willful desires of our fallen human nature. And Paul said that the one is at warfare with the other in the inner life. To follow the analogy we're using this morning, you, you, you can't fill the tank unless it's empty. Somewhere along the line in our spiritual life, in the growing longing for the reality of Christ to fill us, we come up against this inner warfare of the spiritual longing, but the willful longing of the self-life. And our tank may be empty of what God meant to fill it, but it can be cluttered with lots of other things. Often the manifestations of the self-life, self-will and self-pity and self-glory, selfish ambitions and self-sufficiency. The central symbol of of Christianity is the cross, and it's to that cross that we're invited to come so Christ can put to death that which seeks to fill what it can never fill. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There's something in us that needs to die. If we're going to be filled with God's presence and fullness, there is something somewhere along the line that needs to die. If you find a person that is full, whose life speaks divine quietness and tranquility and a sense of fullness, find opportunity to ask him about their journey. And you will find somewhere along the line they came to a crisis moment in their life when the self-life, had to be crucified, and they had to to know the joyous surrender of themselves to Christ. Fullness, somewhere along the line, involves this willingness to deal with the cross in our inner life, and the willingness to follow Christ in his death, so that his, his life and fullness may be open to fill us. There's a third area, and I've called it believing obedience. Believing obedience. Romans 12.1 is a text that many of us know. It talks about the crises of which we've spoken. Paul says, I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's the picture of of brokenness and yieldedness to God. But the Christian life is first and always a life of faith. God's provisions are for those who take them, who appropriate them, who believe. I'm interested in, in the passage in Luke 11 where Jesus was talking to his disciples about prayer, they had initiated the conversation said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And then Jesus said this, If a son asks any of you that's a father, give me bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And then Jesus said this, if, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that to those that ask him, to those that ask him? Where are you this morning? Are you running on empty? Are you keeping life busy to dull the pain, somehow never taking time to open your heart for God to deal with the issues that He promised to fill? This fullness that God promised to our Lord Jesus does involve the quickening of holy desire. God intends to be the center of our affection. He doesn't yield himself to casual desires that are mixed in with everything else. He somehow waits to the side till we're ready to long for him. And maybe the emptiness you feel is part of God's leading you to pursue the inner life in a way that you haven't before. Have you come to a point in your life of being willing to die, to yield all that you are to Christ in abandonment and surrender. That's part of the journey somewhere along the way. But it also does involve faith. And this faith is inextricably tied to obedience. In the New Testament, faith and obedience are tied together and cannot be separated. An intellectual faith is an inadequate faith. A living faith deals with the person of Christ. He's the Lord of history, the Lord of creation, the Lord of the church. And to believe Him innately carries with it the intention to obey Him. The obedience we're talking about is not to rules and regulation, we're talking about an attitude of inner heart in which he's enthroned, and as I ask him to fill me, the intention is that he will obey me, that I will obey him and he'll be the Lord of my heart and life. Last Sunday we talked about Brother Lawrence, the monk from the 17th century, who in his work in the monastery kitchen discovered The practice of the presence of God. The the joy of being able, no matter what kind of work he was doing, to do so joyfully in the presence and fullness of God. This fullness belongs to people who desire it. Who uh, admit to themselves, "I'm, I'm running on empty. And Jesus promised this. And I long for it. belongs to people who are willing to allow Christ to empty their tank from all the things that have cluttered it, to present it to Him. It is for those who ask. God delights when we trust Him. As we come to the communion table this morning, it, it symbolizes, as does baptism, the spiritual journey we're talking about, of dying with Christ and being raised to newness of life. And each time we come to this table, we're celebrating that death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf and identifying with it. I was tempted this morning to to maybe invite people some way to, to express their desire for fullness. I decided not to do that. Because this is not an easy formula. So easy for us to say, yeah, whatever God wants, I want it. Maybe better to go home this morning with business to do with God. And maybe better here in the quiet moments as we take communion. uh, To be honest with God about where we are. I've been praying this week that these moments together would be a, a time when when many of us would bring our empty tanks. Say, Lord, I I understand what you promised. And here are the issues of my journey, and I yield those to you. I want to be filled. I pray, Father, that in these quiet moments, that matters of eternal consequence would be mediated by your Spirit here among us. Thank you for vivid pictures in the Scripture that communicate so powerfully to us of matters that touch areas that we we can't always explain, but we understand well. We know what it is to be full, and we know what it is to be empty. I pray that our Lord's promise this morning may be a personal invitation that just as our Lord broke the bread that night, we may sense our Lord Jesus walking the aisles here today among us and touching us on the shoulder and saying, Ask me for fullness. Quit running on empty. Help us to hear his voice this morning. Pray in Jesus' name.